and welcome into the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you tuned in to our live stream that we did, breaking down all the deals of the MLB trade deadline, thank you for attending. Thank you for watching. If you haven't yet and you're wondering how the trade deadline can impact your fantasy baseball team, go check that out over on our YouTube here at Fantasy Alarm. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter and, excuse me, on X. And with me here is Matt Sells at the Salesman on X, formerly known as Twitter. So, Matt, the dust has finally settled from the trade deadline. You and I are done updating the trade deadline tracker. You have broken down some of the prospects that I believe that were dealt, if I remember correctly, in this week's prospect report, which we'll talk about in a handful of minutes here. But how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Is this like when Prince turned his name into a symbol? Is that what's happening with with Twitter right now? Is that, is that what? Because they also changed it from retreat to repost, which is kind of I annoying. did see that. Yeah, that's that's annoying. But uh, I'm good. Still frustrated with some of the moves that did or didn't happen. Still sorting out some of the weirdness of the trade deadline. Um, still pissed at Ken Rosenthal for being a show for owners. Apparently. His latest one. Did you see his latest article? How there was no winners in the Eduardo Rodriguez situation? I think I saw a tweet talking about it. I'm like, there is a winner. Eduardo Rodriguez won because he didn't have to go to LA, which he didn't want to do. <laughs> how dare he with because he had a yeah, he nixed the deal. So how yeah. dare he not go where he was told to go when he had an option that he didn't have to go? Yeah, I I think ownership lost because they, they didn't check that first. Like or, MLB Network was talking about it, they were like, "This Dan O'Dowd, who used to be a MLB GM for the Orioles, uh, was like, if we had players with no trade clauses, we would call them up and say, hey, we're talking to these teams. Are any of these a no-go? And if they said, yeah, then we would switch gears and go to other teams. We, we wouldn't get this far down the road to have a deal in place and then have the players say, no, I don't want to. Because then you've wasted all your time and you don't have time to go back and talk to other teams and get him possibly dealt somewhere else. So I, I think I think the Tigers just continue to do things the and then, backwards way. And instead of Eduardo Rodriguez, then the Dodgers ended up with Ryan Yarbrough as their lefty at the deadline that they got. So not a great door price. No, but you know, I mean, at this point, we kind of better than nothing. The Dodgers to fix whoever they get right except for Cody Bellinger apparently for sure for sure with that one so obviously we had the trade deadline like I said go check out the live stream that we did on Tuesday right after or actually right at the time where the trade deadline was over and then of course we had all the trades that trickled in check out the live stream that we did check out the uh, trade deadline tracker that we actually wrote up all the deals not only did we talk about them but we wrote about them over at fantasyalarm.com. So make sure you check that out as well. But two, two storylines here, maybe a storyline, just like a quick talking point to mention here following the deadline. You know, we talked a little bit about the Rays. They did bring in Aaron Savali because we had talked about all of the injuries that, that that rotation has endured. And unfortunately, the biggest domino may yet to fall. So Shane McClanahan's actually, I believe they're on the road. They were in New York. He's leaving the team to go back to have the team doctor take a look at that left arm of his. I do believe they said forearm tightness is what they're originally 
Is that what it was? Yeah, that's not, yeah. that's not great. So that's not good. He's going to get the team doc. Team doctor is going to take a look at it. And when you look at that start, the results weren't great, obviously. And he's had a rough couple of outings just by McClanahan standards. Um, you know, by some, they're still pretty fairly good. But by his standards, not as well. But when you look last night, his velo was up across the board. So there's not, you know, a lot of times we have that forearm tightness. You go look at the logs. Oh, his fastball is three miles an hour slower. Got it. You know, you can sometimes tell there's those little telltale signs. But at least with McClanahan, at least last night, and we don't know how much this has been affecting him, spin rates were down just a little bit, but nothing to kind of write home about. But the velo was up across the board. So, uh, but you and I have talked about it. Pitcher and forearm in the same sentence. You have to be skeptical and you have to be worried right away. Yeah, especially with how many pitchers the Rays already have on the IL. Like, we've talked about this a few times. Their IL rotation right now is probably top three in baseball. Mm -hmm. And that's before you potentially add Shane McClanahan to it. So, we're going to be watching with bated breath to see um, what exactly happens uh, for you know with, with McClanahan. Hopefully, it's just he was a little sore from carrying the entire pitching staff. Um, and, you know, maybe they put him on the IL. Maybe they just skip a start somehow, get creative with it, use an opener, call Taj Bradley back up. I don't know. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I don't really want to speculate because, again, we've seen some guys get listed with forearm tightness this year, and then it turns out hey, it's just like a – take some ibuprofen and chill for a bit. And then we've seen guys with forearm tightness that then go under the knife. So, um, by the way, uh, yet yesterday evening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yesterday evening, it was announced that Liam Hendricks is having Tommy John surgery. Yeah. That's a tough blow. Unfortunately, man, the dude beat cancer, got back and then, you know, elbow popped. Don't, don't feel great for him. So hopefully McClanahan avoids, avoids mm -hmm. that. But, man, for those of us in, in fantasy baseball playoffs right now, you got you to gotta be real concerned. You have to. I mean, that's – that's the you have to be. When, when forearm pops up, you have to be – you have to be cognizant of it. The Liam Hendricks news stinks with that. As much as he had to go through to come back to now have this happen is just really, really unfortunate stroke of bad luck. And that's the same type thing, not to the same magnitude of what Hendricks went through. But the – the Brewers reliever Justin Wilson. Yes, who's oh, former, that was... former, former Pittsburgh great, by the way. Just because he yeah, donned, was... just because he donned the uniform makes him a Pittsburgh great in my book. You don't even have to be good; just wear the yellow and black, and you're 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 cool with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's sad too. I mean, he worked back from Tommy John, and then you could tell. I believe they said it was something with his lat that he ended up messing up. Correct. Yeah, he was. You could tell he was warming up in the bullpen to come in to make his right, debut. He looked in distress, like it. That was bad. Yeah, he he was warming up to make his debut to come back from Tommy John. And you could see the bullpen guy started getting on the phone or trying to get somebody's attention. Like, he can't come in because he's over there, like, holding his armpit. Like, it looks like his arm's going to fall off if he's not holding it. So, man, that looked, I mean, painful for multiple reasons. A, he appeared seriously injured and. B, you just feel for the guy because he's had a long road back yep. and now it's longer. So, man, these, these I just feel bad for the dudes who come back and then just can't get healthy. 
Yeah. And I don't mean to make the whole beginning of this podcast doom and gloom, but that's kind of, I guess, the route that I've, that I've taken this, but two other things I want to touch on. One is just um, the news around Domingo Herman is very, it's very unfortunate. Yes. And it's one of those things where amidst this game that we love, there are things bigger than baseball. Correct. You know, it's just a game. You just throw a ball. I get that. But at the same point, there are things that happen. The amount of stress these players are under. We don't know the specifics. We don't know what occurred. All we can really say at this point, and speculation is not what you want to do in this instance. So just, you know, hopefully Domingo Herman gets better, gets the help that he needs. And, you know, fingers crossed for a strong maybe rebound in 2024. That's pretty much, that's all that's all I personally want to say because I don't think anything else really adds to this unfortunate situation. Yeah, hopefully he gets right for himself and his family. That's yep. like whether he pitches again for whoever doesn't matter at this point. The man just needs to get himself right because apparently this is not the first time um, something has happened. Obviously, we all know there's some baggage here with Domingo Herman. Certainly not a saint by any means, but doesn't mean we're not rooting for a, for a recovery just so he can be a functioning human being again. Yep. Family first, baseball second. And then before we get into the prospects, I do want to, and everyone's favorite segment, uh, Down on the Farm with Matt Sells, with this being the Friday edition here, but <laughs> Trey Turner, okay? Yeah. The last four games, he's hit seventh, fifth. I'm sorry, last five games, seventh, fifth, sixth, sixth, and sixth. Did you see where he's hitting tonight or today, I should say? I have not seen the Phillies lineup yet for. I can tell you, or I can buy airtime while you go look and we can get your live instant reaction while you go look. I'm I cool. I am cool with either because I'll tell you what. I will go look. For. 11 years, $300 million. This isn't exactly a good start to his career in Philly, and it could just be a down year, but this is not where you want to see a, you know, $20, $30 million-plus guy batting in the order. He's He's got protection from Jake Covey. Jake okay. Cave, whatever, however you, you want. If you want the, the ritzy version of Jake Cave, <laughs> Covey, I don't know. He's batting eighth, man. Mm-hmm. So. This, this, this is crazy. I don't here's what I don't get. It doesn't it doesn't seem like the Phillies know how to fully put together a lineup. Mm-hmm. Because if your argument is that Trey Turner hasn't been hitting the ball well, he's still hitting 56 points higher than their leadoff batter. He's hit, I mean 237 is not great, but it's 56 points higher than Schwartz who's leading off. Mhm. I get the powers there. Stick them in the two hole. Like, if you want a guy to come out of a bad spell, you need to give him protection in the lineup to get stuff to hit so he starts hitting. This is... uh... I mean, I get... And I think I was about to counteract your point, and then the way you said it, I now agree with you. Because here's the thing. This is Major League Baseball, right? Right. Whether Trey Turner hits second or hits eight, it's... MFing Trey Turner. Pitchers know that. So if you're going to hit him at eighth, 
with Jake Cave or Cave, whatever we're going to call it, or Cava, which is a new, this new like restaurant that we just got in town. Phenomenal. <laughs> I think it's a chain, but phenomenal. Um, but regardless, they're still going to rather pitch to him than Turner. Even if Turner's his head's his head's up his butt, he can't see the strike zone because he can't hit a ball right now. Right, but they Cameron's, would still rather pitch to him or to to Cave than him. Like, right, he's not going to get pitches hitting eighth. It doesn't matter. He's Trey Turner. This is why you never like. I mean, this is the equivalent of him hitting in front of a pitcher. Exactly, like like L- Cave L- is hitting two eighteen with one homer, eleven RBI, and three steals. Granted, he, he's not he a full time. Yeah. He, he's not a full time player, but. Uh, he could be hitting 300, and I would still rather pitch to him than Trey Turner. Because the likelihood of doing damage is far less with Jake Cave than. And you've given the protection. If your argument is Turner doesn't deserve to be at the top of the line, then flip Cave and Turner. So at least Turner has Schwarbs for protection, and he's still technically ninth. So you can bury him and send him a message or whatever the hell you're trying to do. Like. Uh... The eight hole is literally the worst spot to stick a guy trying to figure out his swing. You may as well have him work in the batting cage because he. Well, effectively, your eighth hitter, you're saying, is your worst hitter. That's effectively what you're saying. Yeah, it used to be the case that, like, you know, when you'd have to stick your pitcher in the batting order in the NL, which I, I liked, you'd stick him nine unless you were, you know, La Russa and then bat him eighth. And so you get a second leadoff guy. But. I, I I don't. And this has nothing to do with the fact that I was all over Trey Turner at the beginning of the year. I was. I'll bite that bullet. I was wrong. It hasn't worked out. His move to Philly hasn't been good so far this year. Maybe it'll get better next year because it's the second year, so he's adjusted and all that good stuff. But you're, you're literally pouring grease on a fire by batting Trey Turner eighth. Yep, doesn't get any better there. Interesting, though, sticking in the NL, speaking Mm -hmm. of a guy who's batted all around the batting order this year, Christopher Morrell hit a home run yesterday on Wednesday for the Cubs. That means he's homered from every batting spot in the order this year for Chicago. He has 17 home runs, and he has hit at least one home run from every spot in the batting order this season. Has that ever been done before? He is the fourth player to do it. Wow. In a single season, and he's got two months to go. <laughs> Maybe he'll be the first to hit two in every spot. Yeah, I, I don't know. But speaking of a guy who's making use of <laughs> being all over the order, it's Christopher Morrell. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And Matt, it is time for Down in the Farm with Matt Sells here. Trade deadline fallout this week's prospect report, uh, week 18 prospect report over at Fantasy alarm.com talking about some of the big names that moved you wrote up the moves what all it means here um just the ones that have moved what all it means so the one thing i am interested in kind of getting and of course you can head over to fantasyalarm.com to read about these in more in depth but matt i really just want to know overall we talked about winners and losers at the deadline both players and teams and now for these prospects kind of talking the same type thing in these moves did these prospects these players did they win or lose maybe it's in terms of path to the majors maybe becomes a little bit more open or blocked maybe the system that they're going to has a better track record for player development anything like that so overall if you think these prospects have won or lost and we'll start with the big name here who is 
potentially maybe we'll see him next year. But Luis Angel Acuna, younger brother of Ronald Acuna Jr., did this move to the Mets benefit him or maybe affect him a little bit more than we want to say? So there's two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is, well, he goes to a team that's now rebuilding and is less blocked, right? Because the Rangers have a bunch of dudes locked up for a while, right? Especially in the middle infield between Corey Seager, who's going to basically spend the rest of his career in Texas, I would assume, and Marcus Simeon, who's probably close to that, right? And then the outfield is pretty well congested, and there's a couple of highly touted outfield prospects. Coming up for the uh, for the Rangers, too, like Evan Carter, Brock Porter, people like that. So one way to look at it is, well, he's in an organization where he's now the top prospect, um, and – that's good, and they're willing to spend money to put people around him. Okay. The other way to look at it is he has the exact same path to the majors with the Mets as he did with the Rangers. Right? Who's locked in at shortstop for the Mets? Lindor. Oh, just, just a guy named Francisco Lindor who they're not moving off shortstop. Jeff McNeil is locked in for, like, the next four years at second base. Right? Theoretically, you can move McNeil to left field, open up second base, whatever. But they don't really have a guaranteed starting center fielder, right? So if your argument is that Luis Angel Acuna was going to have to move to center field to get playing time in Texas, it's probably the same thing in the Mets. Okay. As for development, I think the Rangers right now have a better history of developing players than the Mets, although it's a little tough because the new organization, you know, the, the new regime under Steve Cohen, fine. But Billy Epler didn't exactly have the best history of developing people with the Angels. Uh, aside from Mike Trout, but that's God-given talent. That's <laughs> Nobody would have screwed that up, except for the 24 teams that passed him in the draft. Um, so I, I don't think very much changes in terms of when he gets there. I, I think he's going to be exactly the same player. Ronald has said he's better, that Luis Angel is better than he was at that age, which I'm sure has Mets fans just super excited. Um I don't think anything really changes for Angel Acuna. And then sticking with the Mets in the return for ace Justin Verlander, they got Drew Gilbert. Uh, what about for a guy like him? I mean, he was a top, I believe a top 100 prospect with yes. the Astros. Now he comes over to the Mets. I know you just talked a little bit about the Mets player development. So, I mean, I'm sure that kind of sticks with him. But what about for Gilbert? Does he stand to gain or stand to lose with this move from Houston to New York? I think it's probably about the same again, because if you look, there wasn't really anybody seriously blocking him in Houston for the long term, aside from Kyle Tucker, but that's one outfield spot, right? Um, there's not really anybody, there's like one outfield spot locked, theoretically locked up for the Mets. Like I would willing to, either Nimmo or Marte is staying. One of the two of them when their contract is done isn't, you know, Coming back, not resigning, whatever. So there's really only one outfield spot that's blocked. And I think it'd be fine. As for the guy who also got traded from Houston in Ryan Clifford, I think they actually move him to first base. I think that opens his spot. I don't think Fientos has a future as anything other than a utility bat or a DH guy. For the Mets, there's rumors that the Mets are going to trade the polar bear. Pete Alonso over the offseason because he's a free agent after 2024. Um, and that might 
open room for Clifford at first base, who's been playing left field and first base. So that might change things for Clifford, but for Gilbert, it's not going to change anything. He'll be a starting shortstop for the Mets. Or starting outfielder, rather, for the Mets. And then when you look at the Guardians, obviously they shipped off Aaron Savale, and they moved off of Josh Bell and returned two notable hitters that they got talked about actually both of these deals a little bit on the live stream, which you can go check it out on YouTube, Kyle Manzardo and Khalil Watson. The stigma is that Cleveland develops pitchers very well, but it's not like they are devoid of developing offensive talent as well. So what do you think about the paths and the development track record here for Manzardo and Watson in Cleveland? So this is an interesting one because yes, Cleveland is at this point way more known for developing arms than bats sure they have jose ramirez but again i'm pretty sure that guy's talent would have won out no matter where he was playing um and several of their starters on this this roster were developed by other teams right um steven kwan was a was a homegrown guy but again, the, the biggest thing with Cleveland, I feel like, that happens with the hitters is the power somehow disappears. Like, they make a lot of contact. But if you look at guys from when they were drafted or signed by Cleveland and what they were expected to do in the power department, and then what they're now doing in the power department, it, it, it goes down. Like Nolan Jones, for example, right? He was supposed to be a pretty nice power bat who was kind of an average hitter. Didn't happen in Cleveland. The power was completely gone. Now, a little hard to give him credit for being a power guy in course, but whatever. The power seems to be back for him now that he has left. So, we'll have to see. For Khalil Watson, it's probably great because contact is what that dude struggles with. Like, he's got a 28% strikeout rate at, at A-ball right now, and that's a career best. Not not ideal. The power and speed are still there. The contact, not great. Kyle Manzardo, we'll see. You want the power to stay because he's a first base only, DH only guy, so you need the power. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Those two are interesting to watch because they do have a good track record of development, but it's more for contact rather than power. Absolutely, and... If you want to read about some other guys dealt at the deadlines, I'm looking at here along the likes of Jake Eater and Takoa Roby and DJ Hurst. Go ahead and head over to fantasyalarm.com. Check out Matt's prospect report there. And then I do believe the updated rankings have been updated. Like you've updated yes. them, correct? Okay. Yeah. I didn't just switch uh, team names next to the dudes. I there's a whole there's other people that have graduated. Uh, one guy I can't fully figure out why or how he graduated, but he has Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I don't know. I spent like an hour trying to figure out how the guy graduated because he doesn't fit any of the traditional metrics, but he's not on anybody's list anymore, which suggests that he's graduated. So, um, I have shifted dudes around, uh, team rankings have swapped the Mets went from 23rd in the last rankings to 10th in the new rankings so yeah there's a there's a lot to uh to go check out there with in the uh, realm of prospects 
Yep, absolutely. Go check that out over at FantasyAlarm.com. And Matt, real quick before we get to weekend streamers and a waiver wire preview to wrap up this episode, now the deadline is passed. What is one thing that you are looking forward to from here till the end of the season? I will take the pessimistic route again, and I am ready for the Yankees to struggle, and I am ready for all of the Brian Cashman criticism to come rolling in. That's it. Oh, my. That's it. I'm, could I have said some more positive things? Sure. Like, you know, seeing what the Reds do with this with this young stardom that they have and all these fun battles that we're now going to have in divisions. Nope. I am just ready to see the Yankees struggle. And for all of this snowball, this avalanche of Brian Cashman criticism to come and eventually, hopefully make an impact. Yeah. So to, to paraphrase the dark Knight, some men just like to watch the world burn. That's that's you right now. Yeah. Right. I'm now, with yeah. you Cause this is the only way Brian Cashman gets ousted from his seat is if, Everybody in baseball piles on that the Yankees were terribly stupid at the deadline. Uh, I will take an optimistic view here. Thank you. Uh, and I will say the thing I'm most most intrigued by is the ALS, uh, AL West battles. Um, not only do you have Texas and Houston who came into the deadline a half game apart and traded for aces, right? Scherzer to the Rangers and Verlander to back to the Astros. So that should be pretty interesting. Also, you got Jordan Montgomery going to Texas to bolster that rotation. And then Framber throws a no-no um, the day they get Scherzer or uh, Verlander, who has three of them. <laughs> uh, but also the Angels, man. Can they hold on to an AL wildcard spot after going all in, sort of, like in an interesting way? It's going to be a fascinating division to watch what happens. Absolutely. And then weekend streamers and waiver wire preview here in a couple minutes to wrap this up. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Steven Matz gets Colorado on Saturday and he's been really good of late. 217 ERA, 29 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in July. And we all know about the Rockies' struggles against left handed pitching this season. League's worst strikeout rate, league's worst WRC. And if I'm not mistaken, it is away from cores. So they are even worse. So. Steven Matz versus Colorado on Saturday. I can tell you if you stream them, don't watch the game. Steven Matz is incredibly stressful to watch, so don't even worry about it there. But that's a weekend streamer you can look at. And Matt, who are your, and I'm going to give a little tease here, streamers? Yeah, I found two this okay. week. Uh, amongst all of the projected TBDs, that guy's pretty busy because there's a lot of TBDs there on MLB's um, schedule. But I'm going with, in case you want one on Friday, we're going to go with Colin Ray uh, pitching for the Brewers versus the Pirates because the Pirates are atrocious. They, they just are. I'm sorry, Colby. They're, they're bad. They got worse at the deadline because they traded G-Man Choi, right? Like, whatevs. It's just another bat that leaves the lineup. Um, Colin Ray, he's been up and down. Last start, not great. Five earned runs. The two before that, two earned runs. His one start against the Pirates, he went six and two-thirds. Pretty strong innings, or pretty strong appearance. So we're going with that on Friday. On Saturday, this guy still has a job in a six-man rotation. It's Christopher Sanchez for the Phillies, who are going six-man rotation until at least August 14th is what they said. Uh, he's pitching against the Royals. That's all we really need to say there. They're atrocious. Um, he's been spectacular his last 17 innings. Three earned runs, a 14-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. Casey's terrible. So there you go. Both of those guys are owned in under 50% of fan tracks leagues. 
And then waiver wire guy to add. We both have a couple of relievers here. Take a look at Brooks Raley, 41% on fan tracks. That's his ownership right now. He figures to get some save chances moving forward. He did blow a save in his most recent opportunity, but 14.2 innings prior to that, just a 1.23 ERA. And most importantly, he at least got that save opportunity here after the deadline once they got rid of Dave Robertson. So that should help. Take a look at Rayleigh down the stretch. And then your, uh, your waiver wire guy is a guy that's very near and dear to my heart as well. Yeah, speaking of Dave Robertson, that guy's blown two saves for the Marlins. Yep. Welcome to Miami where the players don't play, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at Tanner Scott again. Uh, Colby was all about this. And then, like, literally an hour after the podcast dropped where he told you to go ahead, Tanner Scott, they traded for David Robertson. Um, but it's not been great. It's not been peachy for Robertson. He's blown two saves. So, if... They decide to go matchup-based. Tanner Scott's a lefty. Robertson's a righty. You got that in your favor. Um, If they just need to give Robertson some time to sort it out, you got Tanner Scott could be a closer. He's not going to be the full-time closer. I don't think there's any way, but you can get a handful of saves from him. That's fine. Justin Lawrence is another guy who's still out there, and I've mentioned him before. He gets you wins, holds, saves, strikeouts, good ratios and cores, and he throws a flipping Frisbee. Uh, so those are two dudes you could go at. Can't ask for much more than that. So Matt, that'll put a bow on this week's episode here. Head over to fantasyalarm.com for all of your needs, all of the different sports. We got you covered there. And of course the fantasy football draft guide is out now with the cheat sheet, your one stop shop, ultimate resource for your upcoming fantasy football drafts on Twitter or on X, whatever you're calling it as. If you like the bird or the X, whatever it is. I'm there at Colby R. Conway. Matt is there at The Sales Man. And we will see you next week with the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.